This is The Difference, a podcast for nonprofit fundraising in a for-profit world, presented by Convergent Nonprofit Solutions, a leader in nonprofit fundraising. Convergence professionals can help your nonprofit secure sustainable funding now and for the future. Welcome, I'm Jay Worth with Convergent. I'm pleased that Tina Winner is our guest today and co-founder and managing partner of Winner Partners, a nationwide executive search firm. It works in the nonprofit and economic development space and has been doing so for over a decade. Winner Partners helps businesses looking to build high-performing, sustainable organizations and to equip individuals with the skills necessary to become effective, successful leaders, reaching for their next performance level. We recently had a conversation here on the difference about a leadership framework for success in the nonprofit sector, and we thought it would be interesting to hear Tina's perspective on leadership, particularly as it relates to economic development organizations or Chamber of Commerces. So welcome, Tina. Thanks for being here. Well, Jay, thanks first and foremost to you and Convergent for giving me the opportunity to be with you here today and looking forward to have some fun and lively conversation. In discussing the the leadership framework, I think there's a, a common theme that is coming up in our leadership searches. We continuously hear from boards and stakeholders of those economic development and chambers that collaboration is the key. They are looking for people that are super collaborators, I like to call them, Um, people that can create relationships and activate those relationships within their community. So whether it is a nonprofit or a quasi-government entity, those relationships are crucial with the stakeholders, with the city, county, state organizations that are supporting them. And the community, I think sometimes when we're talking about economic development, we talk about businesses and we're so focused on that professional aspect, but I think the larger definition of economic development is to increase the quality of life in a community. And so we can't forget about the residents and those that are residing there. So I think that is a a real differentiator for people now to make sure that they are including the community in those discussions. They are the largest stakeholder in the organizations that they will come across. Your comment intrigues me about being a collaborator. What's the fine line between collaboration and being directive in your approach as a leader? I mean, you're seen as the professional in the field. So what in your mind uh, are distinctions that can be drawn between those two roles as a collaborator and a director? People are looking for a seat at the table, but in taking a seat at the table, they also need to recognize who's at the head of the table. So if they're new to an organization, it's important for them to watch for cues on who are the leaders in those communities who is setting the table for people to come together for conversation. More so than not, we see that there is not a distinction on who's leading conversations, especially if there's a a large initiative that people are taking on in that community. Um, So that creates an opportunity for those new leaders in communities to, to step up. What are the distinctions that you can bring to bear given the different types of organization and what leadership skills uh, are entailed to lead? 
I think we've worked with just about every type of organization with those funding mechanisms. And right now, uh, no matter where the money is coming from, uh, many of those sources have dried up. The conversation is about money. It's about funding. It's about sustainability. And they need to make sure that their organizations will continue to be sustainable with the funds that are allotted. So um, public-private partnerships, they used to be king. Having that blend between public dollars and the private sector is great. We have worked with completely privately funded nonprofits. We have done so in Tampa with a CEO organization here. But at the end of the day, everyone's bottom line is being hit right now. And so some of those sources are drying up. How do you make sure that you're getting the new people coming into the area, which this is a thriving destination right now, but the public dollars are drying up as well. Think about all of the people during the past two years that have not been going into offices. So those business improvement districts, um, people weren't traveling. So hotel motel tax and innkeeper taxes have gone way down. Those public dollars are not the same as they once were. And we have seen many organizations that have furloughed or cut staff uh, or some that have closed or been uh, rolled up under another organization. And that's where those chambers have been really great, where they are taking on additional responsibility, whether it's in the space of tourism, economic, or downtown development as well. We came across a situation recently where it was a successful funding campaign for an economic development organization within the private sector. And when the organization went to request a renewal of their public funding. They asked for an increase. That increase was denied uh, in its entirety. And one of the reasonings was, gosh, you've just raised all this money from the private sector. You know, how do you, how do you define yourself so that you can continue to get the public support in light of private sector support? We're big fans of the saying, uh, work the make a plan and work the plan. And I think being transparent about where those dollars are going to be spent uh, will help to give people some comfort on knowing that the dollars that they hope to be spent in a certain way will continue to be. So I think those follow-up reports that people can present to show that those dollars were spent in that fashion are very important. Public dollars are often tied to specific initiatives. Um, we've seen that in, in different areas, whether it's, uh, it's for marketing, it's for um, public improvement type projects. So oftentimes there are some tentacles attached with the public dollars and people are accustomed in those organizations to accounting for those dollars appropriately. And I think that that needs to carry over with the, um, with the campaigns that you all are doing to help people. They want to know where the dollars are spent and the return on investment. Investor relations, very, very important. A clarion call now in hiring individuals is let's make sure we think about diversity, equity, inclusion. And for your purposes, I noticed on your website, you label it diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Tell us a little bit about that. 
it's something that we saw in another organization and we really felt um, felt a tie to extending beyond looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion, because once people get there, sometimes they forget that we need to make sure that people feel like they belong. And, uh, and it's very important. Our firm is a certified woman-owned business. It wasn't just enough that we had a female at the, at the helm of our organization. We really felt like we needed to get that distinction. Um, it, it's kind of interesting philosophy that you have to be certified, um, but there are a lot of uh, protocols that go into that certification. It's not something that they take lightly. But for our firm, we believe in that diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And we feel like diversity breeds additional diversity. Um, so if you look at our team, you will find that we have women and people of color on our team. We want to make sure that we are giving opportunities across the board. And we're selecting subject matter experts. We're selecting the best people out there. Sometimes they are not as prevalent or easy to find. So we're constantly creating relationships with people across the country so that we're able to make sure that there is transparency in our opportunities. Um, some organizations are slow to the game. They want to build diversity onto their teams. And we have to make sure that we are developing the people within the teams that they have opportunities to continue. Um, no one wants to hire an inexperienced leader, and the only way for them to get experience is to give them experience. So it's a battle, and, uh, and we also have that at the board level. Uh, it's difficult for boards to select diverse candidates because they are drawn to people that look like themselves. And when your board isn't diverse, it's hard to build diversity into the organization. You're in the recruiting business. So let's say... Oh, I'm thinking about a job change. And out of the blue, I get contacted by a recruiter. What's the best way to relate to a recruiter? Well, the best time to look for a job is when you have a job. Um, that's, that still holds true. That requires a delicate balance. Um, there is an investment of time and resources that go into looking at your next opportunity, especially um, as your professional skills develop. If you're looking at a leadership opportunity, this will not be a one interview process. Um, it will be multiple. If there's a relocation involved, you have that aspect of it. Um, and doing due diligence on the organization, the location, who you will be who you will be meeting with. There are a lot of facets to it. So hunker in and make sure that you have the time and attention to give it. Um, if you are thinking about uh, an opportunity on the horizon, we encourage you to get your documents in order. Do you have a resume? Are you keeping it current? There's a, a rule of thumb for taking a look at the resume every six months. I think we forget about our accomplishments along the way if we're not doing those uh, graduated steps to make sure that we're accounting for the different skills that we're accumulating. And uh, so it's important to, uh, to do that and also keep your networks current. While uh, some people are tapped on the shoulder, what we see oftentimes, Jay, is that people weren't really interested in looking at a new job until someone tapped them on the shoulder. And then the world changes. They open their eyes to what other, if I'm appropriate for this opportunity, what else is out there for me? And so they go from being what we call a passive candidate, someone who's heads down working, 
and we got them engaged in this search opportunity to an active candidate, one that is out there, they're looking, they're going to have multiple opportunities to choose from. And in today's times, they are unprecedented times in the recruiting industry. We have people with multiple offers. We have unbelievable cash flowing on offers. And, um, and it is a candidate's market. They can have their choice if they are the right candidate and positioning themselves for whatever opportunity they want. So we need to make sure that our clients understand that they're in sell mode. They're in recruiting mode. They want to make sure that they are presenting the best face of the organization, what the opportunity looks like for those candidates, not only today, but in the future. The pandemic has changed the nature of work, of course. There's more uh, opportunity to do work remotely. You don't necessarily have to be at a single location uh, every single workday of the year. That has changed. But are the motivations to accept a position primarily, are you seeing now, you talked about the cash influx. In the, is it money? Is it uh the work of the organization, the relationships that I'll have, or I suppose it's all, all of the above or all that I just mentioned, but what, do you see any primary motivator? I think people want to feel good about what they're doing, what where they're spending the majority of their waking hours. Um, they want to feel good about the organization. They want to feel good about the mission. And uh, so I think people are taking a harder look at what opportunities are out there. They also want to have that flexibility that you mentioned. Some jobs you can't call into. Um, we need people on the scenes. Um, think economic development is one of them. You have to be dialed into the community. You have to build those relationships. And it's hard to do that over a Zoom. It can be done, but again, the sustainability of it, I, I don't think will be there. I think the people that are boots on the ground will inherently be more successful. And we have documentation to prove that. Um, but I do think people are looking at what the financials are that will benefit them and their families. Also, do they feel good? What is the mission and the sustainability of the opportunity? People don't want to move to a location where they're at the top of their professional heap and there's no opportunity but to move to get to that next rung. What qualities do you think an excellent leader needs to possess for success? I mean, depending on what type of organization that is and how they are uh, dispensing economic development, when, whether it's business recruitment, public policy and advocacy, I think those um, tactical skill sets need to be there. But a leader that is going to be developing the team behind them, that that leadership and the mentorship, developing a culture where people want to work and they want to stay. Um, those things are more at the forefront than they have ever been. Good financial stewardship of an organization. I'm sure you and I could go back and forth like a tennis match and talk about some bad stories that we've seen in the news over the last couple of years with yes. our friends in economic development and some challenges that have happened there. So I think um, you know, really having a, a tight grasp on the financials, both on what's happening on a daily basis, as well as planning for the future. Um, I think those reserve, reserves are more important than ever to make sure that they have something, uh, something in the well to go to when, God forbid, a situation like a pandemic comes up again. Um, we're in an economic crisis right now. 
Um, so I think there needs to be reserves and people need to be good stewardships of both public and private dollars. You get into an interview uh, situation and my career has been long enough to have encountered several of them. And I've also been a hiring manager. What's your favorite question to ask of a candidate or a couple of favorite questions that you think elicit some very telling information about a candidate? Well, it's interesting because um, people sometimes have a hard time talking about themselves, not really a braggadocious, but really to highlight their strengths. I like to ask people what their superpower is. And it doesn't have to be that they can leap tall buildings. I just talked with someone today who um, really struggled with the question and then ended up telling me that he created a mission statement for himself in college, and it was be a catalyst for joy. And he has to, and I thought that was amazing um, after he had really struggled with the question. And I think it's been a guiding principle through his career and how he sees his leadership um, moving in the future uh, to really create a culture where people want to work, as we discussed before. Um, so I, the superpower question is a, a fan favorite of mine. And we really like to understand the motivations that people have for taking a new role. So we spend a lot of time on those motivating questions. And uh, especially if it is a relocation scenario, what, what is the draw for someone to go to a new community? And no matter if it's utopia, it's still putting your things in a box and putting them on a truck to get them moved there. So what's going to keep you there? What are the other things that you're thinking about in terms of going to a new destination? And what is Tina Winner's superpower? <laughs> my superpower is getting people to answer my questions. Um, and I dig deep and uh, I've been called the bartender before because people uh, do tell me things that they probably wouldn't tell other people. So I think that that's my superpower is just really listening and hearing people's stories. Tina, you're located in the Tampa Bay, St. Petersburg uh, area, your main office. For our listeners, you work nationwide, though, correct? We do. We're nationwide. Uh, we have people uh, almost coast to coast. Uh, while the majority of our work seems to be centered east of the Mississippi, um, we're working on something in Wyoming right now, for example. So uh, we can travel. We've been traveling through the pandemic. While we specialize in community, we call it economic impact. So under that economic impact umbrella, traditional economic development organizations, chambers, community development, downtowns, tourism, foundations, family office. If we look at that quality of life quotient and what organizations are helping you provide that, that's where you'll find us. For our listeners' purpose to find you, share your website with us, please. Thanks, Jay. We're at winnerpartners.net. So it's winner, like opposite of loser, W-I-N-N-E-R, partners with an S, and .net. Thank you so much. We've been speaking today, as you know, with Tina Winner, founder of Winner Partners. To find out more about Convergent and our services, along with a list of our podcasts, please visit our website, convergentnonprofit.com, convergentnonprofit.com, and look for the resources tab at the top of the homepage. Thanks for listening.